1: I talk to you I'm in this series for the for four weeks started last Sunday uh, on Christmas characters it's just centered around the, the Christmas theme the Christmas story and I just want to kind of camp out in there a little bit I'm going to be in just a moment in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 if you want to go ahead and start turning there in your Bibles I want to talk to you today about this unnamed man with no room now who do you think that may be who do you think that may be the innkeeper right i want to talk to you about this man now this man's not really mentioned in the bible as far as having a name or or really having a dialogue uh with joseph and with mary but i want to talk to you about that last week i talked with you about this forgotten christmas tree if you remember we looked at matthew's gospel chapter one and one down through verse what was it verse 17 or so it was the geneal- genealogy of christ remember we unpacked that and we looked at all those names you remember me up here trying to read all those names and absolutely butchering half, half of those names. And, but, but we broke those groups of people down into three categories. If you remember, we looked at the faithful people in those categories or in, the, in that list. Then we looked at the ones that had failures Right, I mean, there were many that had some huge bloops and blunders in their life. They were failures, so to speak, but yet they're still in the lineage of Christ. And then there were some in there that were named that we knew absolutely nothing about, so we we categorized them as the Forgotten. Seemingly forgotten people, but certainly not forgotten in God's eyes because He put them in the list of the genealogy and through their lineage came the birth of, of Jesus Christ Himself. So oftentimes we may, you know, hopefully we can be those faithful people, but while we're, while we're being those faithful people, sometimes we may have some failures along the way as, as the list revealed to us. And then also along the way, sometimes we may feel like we're completely forgotten, that God doesn't even know where I am or who I am. I'm here to tell you today, He knows who you are. He knows He's watching you. He knows if you're faithful or not. He knows if you've had a failure and he can still use you as a result of a failure and know you're not forgotten. He knows exactly where you are and what you're going through. So I don't know about you, but I found encouragement by going through that list of names last week and just thinking about that, even all through this week in my own life and trying to make some application there. Today, I want to look in Luke chapter two. Now, last week we were in Matthew chapter one, verses one through 17, which is probably the least read passage of scripture whenever we're talking about the advent or the nativity right we usually whenever we're thinking about christmas we don't go to matthew 1 and read the lineage of jesus and kind of trace back his ancestors but there's great benefit in knowing some of that information there today i'm going to talk about a passage of scripture that's that's very popular matter of fact it may even be the most read passage of scripture whenever we talk about the advent ...or the nativity. So if you have your Bibles, look in Luke chapter 2... ...and we're going to read in verses 1... ...down through verse number 7... ...and we'll have it on the screen for you as well. In Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7... ...it says this. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus... ...that the whole empire would be registered or taxed. And the first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town... And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, verse number seven is going to be my text verse, okay? We're going to really unpack this one a little bit and dig a little bit deeper in that no room part. But verse seven says, Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them at the lodging place or at the inn. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together thus far. We thank you for the music set and the worship that we've been able to experience. We thank you for the wonderful fellowship that we've been able to have with each other. And Lord, now we ask you to speak to us through your word. As we just glean from your word here for a few moments this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to our hearts and finger around our hearts and and help us and give us understanding to your word. But not only just understanding, help us to apply your word to our lives on a daily basis, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. We ask your blessings on everyone that's here, and our prayer is that if there's one here that's discouraged, that, God, you would encourage them today. If there's one here that doesn't know you as their Savior, my prayer is today that they would receive the greatest gift that could ever be given, and that's your Son, Jesus. We ask your blessings on our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, which is a very familiar passage of Scripture for all of us dealing with the Christmas season, I just want to make a few, I guess, helicopter observations. Just kind of hovering over that passage of Scripture, I want to make several different observations before we really start digging into verse number 7. Observation number one I want to make is this. That God God used pagan rulers to get Jesus to Bethlehem. Now, who was He using? He was using... Matter of fact, who told Jesus and Mary to get to Bethlehem? This was on the survey, the test we just did. Who was it? Caesar Augustus, right? Now, was he wanting them to come so that he could bring the Christ child in so that he could be born there? No, he had no recollection of that or no idea that that was even taking place at all. He, he was bringing everybody in for one reason and one reason only. What was that? Money, right? And um, for him to understand how much money he was to get into his kingdom, he had to number the people and find out exactly how many people were out there. So he was doing a census. He was doing a registration. He was having everyone come in. Little did he know that he was playing right in to the sovereignty of our God, that God was orchestrating this entire event, and he was using a pagan ruler of the day so that his Sovereignty, his plan could come to fruition. And God even does that today. God uses safe people as well as unsafe people. God uses everybody to bring about his will for us in our lives as well as in our country and in our nation, in our world, even today. As a matter of fact, it was said that when Caesar started his reign, his reign in Rome, it was said that Rome was built out of bricks. But at the end of his reign, It then changed from Rome being built out of bricks to Rome being built out of marble. I mean, he really taxed the people heavily, and he brought in a lot of revenue. And so one of the reasons to find out how much money he was going to get in taxes, he needed to do a census and number the people. So God used the rulers to get Jesus to Bethlehem. Observation number two is this. Here's what I want you to understand and know. Christianity is an historical faith. Okay? It's not some it's not some fable, it's not some fiction, it is fact. What we are placing our faith in, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, it, there are historical accounts that have been recorded all down through history. So whenever you place your faith in Christ, I don't want you to think about you're placing your faith into something that's just uh, not really a tangible. There, there really is something we can anchor our faith in. Our faith is recorded all through history. We can go back to places, we can go back to times, we can go back to events, and we can see exactly when things were unfolding and exactly when things were taking place. Luke was a great historian. As you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that he really articulates very well the history of the day, the history of the events. So I want you to know, as our faith being in Christ, Christianity is an historical faith that has some bedrock foundation to it. It's not some pie-in-the-sky thing, right? I want you to see that. Just an observation. Observation number three is this. This is not really my sermon. This is just the introduction, okay? Which usually winds up being my sermon. Number three is this. Throw it up on the screen, if you will. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill the Scripture. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill the Scripture. In Micah chapter 5, and verse number 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. So Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. So all of this is God orchestrating this plan to bring him there so that he could be born there. Observation number 4. And I don't want you to miss the symbolism here. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. Now I want you to think about it, if you will. Here we have the bread of life. Jesus himself. He said in John 6, 51, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. And this bread, bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, Jesus himself later in life, obviously, in John 6 and 51, is saying that I am the bread of life. And here we have the bread of life being born in the house of bread. And where did they lay him? In a feeding trough. Right? So the connection is this. If you will feast on the lamb. And by the way, what was real close outside on those Judean hillsides? Sheep. Right? And so here we have the sheep. And by the way, what were they raising those sheep for? To To be taken in, really to be taken into the temple, to be sacrificed Right, So they could use it as an act of worship. So here we have all this symbolism taking place around this story. And there's a whole message you can preach on all of that. I don't have time to dig that out. But I don't want you to miss it. Here we have the bread of life lying in the feeding trough. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life in the house of bread, which is Bethlehem. And he is there. And if we will feast on Jesus, which became the sacrificial lamb for all of us, then I promise you we will never hunger again. Amen. What a great message there is there, okay? That's just a few observations. I want us to look down in verse number 7. I want you to get this. In Luke Luke chapter 2, in verse number 7, look what the scripture says. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them in the lodging place. Now, there's several observations, actually five, that I want to make here, before we get really down to the meat of what I want to share with you. Here's five observations right out of this verse. Observation number one, I want you to see that this is an ordinary birth. Okay? Luke doesn't go into great detail describing uh, about the labor. He doesn't spice it up at all. He doesn't exaggerate any. He doesn't embellish the story any. He just simply says that she, being Mary, gave birth. In other words, Mary just did what women do. Just gave birth. Some of you ladies may think there's a little more to it than that. But from a guy's perspective, Luke's writing, she gave birth, right? Just an ordinary birth. And that really was just an ordinary birth, although we know that it was far more than that. But I want you to see the scripture, she just gave birth. Observation. Observation number two. Who did she give birth to? Notice that Luke says it's her firstborn son, right? So Mary gave birth to a firstborn son, which leads me to believe that Mary had other children after having Jesus. Right. Now, there's some out there in the world today that believe that Mary had no other children other than Jesus himself. But that's just not correct, because the Bible records for us in in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 46 in Matthew, chapter 13, verse 55. In Mark chapter 3, verse 31. In Luke chapter 8, verse number 19. In John chapter 2, verse number 12. In John chapter 7, verse number 3. All of these are references of other children that Mary had. Okay? Just an observation. Do with it what you need to do with it. I'm just trying to get you to understand the biblical reference of the story. Okay? So it was her firstborn son. Observation number 3 I want you to see is this. She wrapped... This baby in the old translation that I grew up was swaddling cloth, and you may remember that one probably more than cloth, but that's the kind of King James translation. But the newer translation talks about she wrapped him up tightly in this in these in this cloth. Okay, why did she do that? Well, several reasons why I think she did that. First of all, because I think she was showing a mother's love. And by the way, I am amazed today. How some mothers forfeit and give up their love for their children. I don't know of anything deeper and greater than a mother's love for her children. Right? I mean, listen guys, let me give you a hint. Stay out of the way. Do not get in between a mother and her children. You will live a long, healthy life if you just don't step in there. Don't go play in that arena. Right? Right? You're going to get burnt if you do, right? There's nothing worse than stepping in the middle between a mother and her children and you trying to do so. You're going to get messed up, right? Because of a mother's love. And here we see that Mary had this mother's love for her child. And she wrapped him up tightly so that she could keep him warm, so that she could keep him protected. It was the loving thing for a mother to do. And that was the beginning when Jesus was first born there. It was also... Not only a symbolism of a mother's love, but it was also a sign. For who? Who was it a sign for? It was a sign for the shepherds, right? Because if you remember, the angels came out to the shepherds on that Judean hillside. And she, the angel told them there that they would find this babe wrapped in cloth or wrapped in swaddling clothing whenever they went there. I want you to notice, though, that this baby Jesus that was laying in that feeding trough, wrapped in cloth... This was and still is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But I want you to notice that this King was not robed in royalty. He was robed in torn cloths of strip, or torn and tattered strips of cloth and wrapped around him. I think it's just showing his humility of coming into the world. And then you think about the message that the angels gave the shepherds. They could have, the angels could have given that message to anybody. But she gave it to the shepherds that day. The shepherds that day and that day and age were not even allowed to come into the temple and worship because they were unclean. But here we see that the angel went first to the shepherds so that, so, so that she, they could get the gospel message to these lowly shepherds so these lowly shepherds could come to the manger scene and see this great king humbly lying there in the manger wrapped in these swaddling cloths. So there's a whole story there I just wanted you to see. There's another observation that he was placed in a manger. Once again, that shows the humility of the Lord. Another observation is that there was no room in the inn. Now, Joseph was a typical man. He didn't call ahead for reservations. Maybe he didn't plan very well. Listen, there's a crowd of people in Bethlehem. They're coming from all over the region. Every house, every hotel, if you will, every inn, every lodging place, they were all completely full. There was simply no room in the inn. Now, whenever you think about the inn, and I kind of brought this up just a while ago, I don't want you to think about, like, the Drury Inn, okay? It looked nothing like that, all right? I don't want you to think about the uh, Holiday Inn Express, Or the La Quinta. You know, it's, it's nothing like that. As a matter of fact, it was more like a lodge. And if you, if you can get this picture, I'm gonna try to paint this picture for you. It was more like a real rustic lodge. And out behind the lodge, there were, there were just canopies, maybe some tents. Blankets laying on the ground and and folks were just resting there. It was it was a resting place, okay? So it wasn't Motel Six, it wasn't Drury Inn, it wasn't the Holiday Inn Express, it was just this place where weary travelers would, would drop in. I guess a better word picture may be like a truck stop. All right? If you're going down the interstate and you see the truck stop off on the side and see all these truckers pulling, that's kind of it was just a lodging place where they pulled over, but there was no room there. There wasn't a physical room, which they had a few of those, but not very many. But mostly there wasn't even room for them to even lay out in the area that was designated in this lodge and in this inn in that day. So there was no room for them. So in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7, I want you to see the word "in." See the inn there? No room for them in the inn That word inn just simply means a place of lodging, or it means a guest quarters, okay? It's just a place where they would lodge there briefly. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this innkeeper and kind of get to the meat of it here, and then I'm going to be done. I'm going to wrap it up for here real soon, so hang with me. I'm just trying to give you some oversight of all that's going on with this. Now, I realize as I speak to you that this innkeeper is unnamed. We don't have a name for this innkeeper. We really don't have really a strong reference For the innkeeper, all we really have was there's no room for them in the inn. Okay? And so I'm gonna try to build something off of this, but probably there was someone that was in charge of getting folks appointed to the right place within this inn. Okay? But I want you to understand, the Bible doesn't give us chapter and verse on the name of this innkeeper or even a dialogue or a conversation that the innkeeper had with others. It's just kind of written there for us. And I guess we gotta fill in the blanks. There was no room for them. In the end. But this innkeeper, boy, he is, he is the individual at Christmas time that becomes the scapegoat, right? You've heard a lot of stories, you've heard a lot of different illustrations how, how this innkeeper has been depicted either as a, a vicious villain or some type of busy businessman that had no time for these peasants that had come out of Nazareth, right? Well, all of that is just kind of made up preaching, if you will. It kind of makes the story a little bit better. We really don't know. But if there was an innkeeper and there was no inn, I want to try to think about what he must have been experiencing that evening and that that day when when they came to this particular place to rest. Let's think about some of his reactions that he may have had. Now, I can't tell you for sure that he did have these reactions. But I can tell you for sure that people today have these reactions reactions okay so that's where i'm going to try to tie it together i realize it's very vague in scripture so i can't really say the bible said the innkeeper was like this because we don't know but i do know people that are like this in our day and age here in the 21st century so let's try to kind of keep in the back of our mind the picture of the innkeeper there when mary and joseph came and there was no room for them to stay there and then I want you to bridge that over into the world today, into our world today, into your world today, and see if maybe you fall into one of these experiences, if you will, or one of these mindsets, if you will, or one of these reactions, okay? There's several I want to give give you. Let's put the first one up, if you will. The innkeeper, possibly, and people today, possibly, are just flat out indifferent, okay? They're just indifferent now most people don't have animosity toward, towards Christ they just don't have any room for him right I mean it's not like we there, there's vent out there I realize there's some and I realize the whole atheist movement is gearing up here at Christmas time and going without with their billboards I think uh, John Pratt was telling me that they're trying to get a billboard up where it says all I want for Christmas and not have to go to church and blah 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 and this and that and the other I realize there are groups out there that are attacking Christianity but for the most part for the average Joe that's out there, it's not that we have animosity towards Christ. It's just that we're indifferent. We just don't have room for Christ in our life. I mean, we even may come to church and sing the Christmas carols. We may go through all the Christmas motions. We may do all of these things. But yet, in our daily lives, we're just indifferent. We just do not have room for Christ. We don't have room, room for Him to make decisions in our life. We don't allow room for Him to lead us Monday through Saturday in our life. So we just kind of show up on Sunday and we kind of go through the motions. But is he is he really the Lord of our life? You see, there's a difference between Jesus being your Savior and Jesus being your Lord. Right? So a lot of folks today have this reaction whenever they think about Jesus that they're just simply indifferent. Reaction number two is this one. Not only indifferent... But also ignorant. Now, not ignorant people. Ignorant to Christ. Okay? This innkeeper, if there was one that they actually went and talked to. And I say that because I don't have chapter and verse. Remember I tell you, if you don't have chapter and verse, you can't bank on it, right? We just got to speculate here. If this innkeeper did have a conversation with Mary and Joseph that day. Then possibly he was just ignorant of who they were. Because if he was a businessman, and he probably was. It would have been really good business for him to bring in Mary and Joseph and let this baby Jesus, the Christ child, the Messiah, be born in his inn. I mean, his family would still be reaping benefits from that today, right? The historical marker, right? In my family inn. But he was ignorant to what was going on. I mean, there were crowds of people there. Hundreds and thousands of people had flocked in to Bethlehem. This small little Bethlehem was overpopulated. And this innkeeper was just ignorant to what was going on about and with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what, guys? There's a lot of people today that are just, I'm not saying they're ignorant people. I'm saying they're ignorant to what Jesus can do for them. They're ignorant to the kind of life they can have if they would surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They're ignorant to to how peace or the peacefulness they can experience and have in their life if they trust Christ as their Savior. Even in the midst of turmoil and anxiety and and fear and, and all these other things that go on in our world today. Folks are just ignorant of the blessings that come When they trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And what we need to do as Christians, as believers, it's our responsibility to go out there and build relationships with them and tell them the story of Jesus Christ so that they can hear, so that they can know. I believe it's Romans chapter 10 says, how can they hear without a preacher? Right? I mean, there's got to be someone to tell them. And I believe the reference there is not talking about a pastor on Sunday morning proclaiming. I think it's just simply talking about a messenger that's going through their daily life, just sharing their story about what Christ has done for them to other people that come into their life. My question to you is this. When's the last time you've told anybody about Jesus? When's the last time you've invited anyone to church? And by the way, if you're looking for a good time, you think, well, I just don't do good with rejection. Well, let me, I got good news for you. Now is a great time to invite folks to church because more folks are more open to coming to church at Christmas than any other time of year with the exception of Easter, right? Those two time frames are great times. So if you have this little anxiety about rejection and someone telling you no, I want to let you know for the next two or three weeks, it's a great opportunity that you will receive a yes to that individual if you would just invite invite them to church. When's the last time we invited someone to church? When's the last time we invited someone to Christ? When's the last time we slowed down enough that we really cared about the person that we're talking to and we asked them about their eternal state and where they will live through all eternity? Now, I'm not talking about driving the gospel. I'm talking about just engaging in a conversation with someone and being genuinely concerned and inviting them to church or inviting them to Christ. You may say, well, I just don't know how to share the gospel. Well, here's, here, let's, let's make a deal, okay? Okay. You want door number one? No, let's let's make a deal right here. Okay, here's the deal: you invite them to church, I'll share the gospel. Deal, right? You invite them to church, I'll share the gospel with them. Okay, so a lot of folks are just too ignorant. Matter of fact, do you realize in the book of Jeremiah chapter twenty nine and verse number thirteen it provides a promise. To those who are searching for Christ or that are seekers, that are looking possibly into the option of receiving Christ as their Savior. Listen to what it says. The Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So there's a promise that Jesus said, I promise you will will find me when you seek for me. Right? Some folks are just too ignorant of what Christ can do for them. There's a third promise. Reaction, possibly the innkeeper had, but I know that folks have today. They're just too involved. Okay? Just too involved in their own lives. In other words, they just don't have time for Jesus, just don't have time for church, just don't have time for spiritual things. They're just too busy in their life. They're, they're just running through life with this frantic activity, and they're just too involved. Well, some folks need to unplug. Some folks need to slow down. And maybe that some folks is you and me as believers in Christ. Sometimes I think we need to slow down a little bit. Sometimes I think we need to unplug. And by the way, if you're on social media 24-7, that's way too much. Right? You definitely need, seriously, you need some downtime. You need some times where you put these devices down and you disconnect a little bit. You unplug a little bit. I love Psalm 46.10. It says, be still and know that I am God. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm trying to be still and know that he's God and i got one of these devices in my hand, guess what it's always doing? I'm looking. I'm looking. Put the stupid thing away. Turn it off. Right? So, sometimes people say, well, I'm afraid if I turn it off, I'll be disconnected. Somebody may need me. Well, what did they do 20 years ago, 10 years ago? Right? I remember as a boy, man, and I've heard these military stories, and I remember Eldon even telling me about going off to service and, and write letters, and you wouldn't even get a letter for weeks later. It's, a, it's gonna be okay. Right? It will be okay. Sometimes I think we are too plugged in. We are too involved. We're too busy to make room for Christ in our lives. So I think we need to be still, know that he's God, and disconnect from stuff for a while. It will be okay, right? There's another reaction. This is my last one, and I'm done. Just too indulgent. Now, hang in here with me a little bit on this one. Think about this innkeeper, possibly. You see... The innkeeper may have been, once again, we really don't even know, but he may have been overly focused on his business than to worry about these two peasants from Nazareth and trying to provide for them and make room for them. This innkeeper may have been chasing after the all-elusive shekel, if you will, or the dollar in our terminology, To even pay attention to what was going on right in front of him. There are some people that are just too indulgent today. They're too busy in their careers and they're too busy making their money and they're too busy buying their stuff. And they're too busy with their things that they just don't have room for Christ in their life. Either to be their savior or to serve him and sacrifice and give time to him. Guys, we need to be careful with that. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, notice it does not say, and I've heard people misquote this, and they say, well, you know, money's the root of all evil. No, 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 no. No, money is amoral. It's not good or bad, right? It's what you do with it. What does it say? It says, the love of money. The hunger for money. The drive for money. All of that is the root of all evil. So we need to check our hearts, right? We need to check our lives. We need to be sure that we are not too indulgent in our careers and and in our money and our possessions, our stuff, our things, that we have no room for Christ. You remember what Jesus told the guy? He looked around at all that he had accomplished. And he saw all of his barns and how they were all full. And he said, self, you've done well. My barns are full. I'm going to tear down these barns. And I'm going to build bigger barns. So that I can get more stuff in my barns. you remember that story? It's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, in verse number 20. You remember what Jesus told him? He said this in Luke 12, 20. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus called him a fool, right? It's foolish to be too indulgent in the things of this world that we don't have room for Christ in our life. So my question to you is this, and a band can come, and and I'm pretty much done for today. My question is this. We look at the life of the innkeeper And we see that he possibly may have been indifferent, ignorant, involved, or too indulgent. Now, I don't know for a fact that that at all ran through the innkeeper's mind. But I do know that runs through our minds today. I do know that people struggle with those things today. And possibly even you. And there may be other areas that you may struggle with. But let me ask you this. Have you made room for Christ in your life? Or are we too busy chasing after stuff and things and careers and whatever else it may be that we don't have room for Him? Are we too busy? And sometimes I think that's where probably most of us as Americans fall into that trap. We get far too overcommitted in life. We get way too busy. I mean, look at our calendars. Hey, and I'm right there with you. Man, my calendar is slammed full. Every day, there's something. Every day. And Sometimes I think we need to get back. We need to reevaluate our lives. We need to look at our calendar and say, you know what? I'm going to scratch that today. And I'm going to spend time with the Lord and... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice some time and I'm going to scratch that today and I'm going to give it to the church in ministry and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve the Lord, the Lord through serving in my local church or, or I'm going to look across the street and I see a neighbor that needs help and I know that I'm busy doing all this stuff but I'm going to let it go for a while and I'm going to walk across the street and I'm going to help my neighbor do whatever it is they're doing. What are we doing? I remember as a boy many years ago I saw a church sign that said this. It said, you only love God as much as you love your brother the least. And whenever we think about our lives as Christians, we think about this great love that we have for God. How can you measure that? The only way I know to measure my love for God is to turn around and see what am I doing for other people? Not for myself, but what am I doing for other people? Question. Think about last week. What did you do for someone else last week? What did you do for the ministry last week? What did you do for your neighbor last week? Listen, don't neglect the home. Husbands, what did you do for your wife last week? Wives, what did you do for your husband last week? I mean, let's don't forget to serve each other while we're serving the world. Hello? Are you with me? We only love God as much as we love our brethren the least. So let's don't get too busy in our life that we don't have time to serve. We don't have time to give to people. We don't have time to share with people the message of Jesus. Let's don't get too busy. We don't have time to invite them to church. Let's take time this week. Let's don't react in this mindset of the innkeeper that I've tried to unpack for us today. Let's live a sacrificial life. Let's think about how Jesus would have lived this life. And let's do what he did. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for our time together today. And as we unpack a little bit of what may have been running through the mind of this unnamed innkeeper in Scripture. Father, we can't say for sure that that was taking place in his life. But God, we can say for sure that some of these things may be taking place in our lives. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would finger around in our hearts and help us, Lord, to look for opportunities this week to serve our fellow man. To reach out to a neighbor, to reach out to a friend, to reach out to a co-worker and to help them. To serve them, to minister to them, to love them, to give of our time to them. God, help us also to look into the ministry of the church. There's places for folks to serve. There's plenty to do, but the laborers are so few. And Father, we ask for laborers. We ask for workers. We ask for servants. We ask, God, that... You would lay it upon the hearts of your people That they would fall in love With their church and with the ministry And they would give and they would sacrifice And they would serve Through the church Father maybe there's someone here today That That wants to trust you as their Lord And as their Savior And my prayer is right now That that individual would look to you In prayer by faith pray something like this and if that's you why don't you pray silently with me this prayer and just say dear God I realize that I'm a sinner and today Lord I want to give you my life I ask for you to forgive me of my sins I repent of them I turn from them and I give my life to you today I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the world, even for my sins. I believe you were buried. I believe you came out of the tomb victoriously the third day. And I believe you ascended back to God the Father and that you're coming again one day. And Father, right now I just want to give you my life. And pray, dear God, that you forgive me. and That you become my Lord and my Savior this Christmas season. jesus name we pray
0: well thank you for joining us for this message from the word of god we know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it if you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois. 6269 Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net and again we thank you and are glad you could join us